Lord, we echo that today. We just come in and we say, we agree that you are good. You are good. You are good to us. Lord, this is a big topic today. We're gonna dive into baptism, something that's been argued about for so long. And we just sit back today to say thanks. A weekend where we focus on thankfulness, we come in and we say thank you for this opportunity to come together, to celebrate, to hear your, your word. Lord, this is such a cool passage, looking backwards, looking forward, just at the beginning of your ministry as it started in the muddy waters of the Jordan River, you began something that would change the world forever. We come together to celebrate what you did today. We love you. We're excited to be with you today. And we say this in your name, amen. You may be seated. In my study for this passage, it has become really, really cool to see how much is going on in the baptism of Jesus and the fact that this was a very unique baptism. This was unlike any baptism that ever occurred and the story and the fulfillment and the foreshadowing of what God does in the baptism of his son is nothing short of miraculous. And so let's do this. Let's turn our attention to the screens. I'm gonna read our passage for today. It's Matthew 3, 13 through 17. It says this, it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Uh, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized immediately, he, came, he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, the cool part here is that, I don't know about you guys, but when I think of Jesus, I always think of Jesus and the entourage, right? He always comes in like this pack of people around him. And this is before that. We're in the beginning of this book of Matthew. And in Matthew 3, Jesus shows up and he's yet to call a single disciple. That hadn't happened yet. He doesn't have any friends or any family. And what I thought was so interesting in my study is that there are things in Jesus' ministry that he does in community, right? We see where Jesus is pulling people with him and going, hey, you three, you come with me. Or, all right, all 12 of you, let's go do this. And yet the beginning of his ministry, which starts right here in this passage, he starts alone in the muddy waters of the Jordan River. And the end of his ministry, he finishes alone on a muddy hill at Golgotha. He starts it and he finishes it alone because there were some things that only Jesus could accomplish and only he could do. Now he comes alone, but he also comes for a purpose. If we look at this verb, it's in, I'm gonna say something nerdy here, aorist passive infinitive, which is a really nerdy way to say that it emphasizes purpose. When Jesus says that he had come to be baptized, he's saying, I am coming for this purpose. It wasn't an accident. It didn't happen by some sort of weird circumstance. And this purpose is really confusing. It confuses John the Baptist greatly. He really doesn't know what to do with it. If you look at John's response, it says John wanted to prevent him. Why? Saying, I need to be baptized. I need to be washed by you. Do you come to me? He's going, no, no, no. This isn't how it's supposed to work. And John does a really great thing here because in his resistance, he's recognizing something unbelievable. He's recognizing Jesus' perfection. 
He recognizes his human and his divine identities. He's looking back and going, this is not just my cousin. We know that that was true because both John the Baptist and Jesus, their moms, were sisters. This isn't just my cousin, but if we look at John 129, now this is the gospel of John, not John the Baptist. This is going to get confusing for a second, so stick with me. He says this, John 129 says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We don't get that detail in Matthew, but we get it in John. And what John does in this powerful prophetic moment is he describes the entire redemptive plan right there in this one statement. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he says, behold, the Lamb of God, he gets Christ's identity. This is not just my cousin. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah. He gets what he came to do. What did he come to do? To take away the sin of the world. And then in our passage, when he says, listen, I should be washed by you or I should be coming to you for baptism, he actually explains how he's going to do it. You see, we have to be washed by Christ. Now, beginning of Jesus' ministry, we're going to do a lot of this today, just in really quick time. We're going to foreshadow the baptism of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus. So in this baptism, Jesus has in front of him a man of influence, a man of ministry who's going, I can't wash you. Uh, No, 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 no. Or I need to wash you. You can't wash me. Can anybody think of another time in scripture when that happens, where somebody resists being washed by Jesus? Peter. Yeah, who said it? It's the upper room discourse. It's John 13. And here comes Jesus. He takes off his outer robes and he's going to start washing feet. And Peter, who is never short on opinions, bless his heart, pipes up and he says this in John 13, 8. Let's take a look. It says, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And what Jesus is doing with Peter is he's going, listen, I got a plan, man. And even though I know what you're trying to do here is to honor me, what I'm telling you is in order for there to be a true share with me, in order for you to share in this eternal family and have eternal life with me, I have to wash you. With the washing of the feet, Jesus is foreshadowing the cross, the true washing of the heart that's necessary in order to exist as a part of the eternal family of God. What John is doing here in this baptism moment in the Jordan River is recognizing the same reality. He's going, no, 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 I can't baptize you. I'm not fit to do that. Remember, this is the one who's been crying out in the desert, fulfilling the prophetic literature of the Old Testament. John the Baptist, the wild man who eats locusts and honey. He's coming and he's going, listen, I'm, I'm forecasting the Messiah. I'm here and my ministry is unique but awesome. And now that one shows up. And he says, I've got to do this. Well, John kind of pushes back, and then Jesus responds, and then John consents. There's some of you who need to hear this today. John the Baptist had a paradigm in his head. He had something that he went, listen, this has to go down a certain way. In my brain, I'm supposed to completely submit to the one who shows up, the Messiah. And yet, Jesus has a bigger plan than John. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you are sitting back in your lives and you're kind of like John the Baptist. You're going, I got a specific way that God's going to call me, that God's going to use me, that God's going to restore me, and it's kind of getting messed up. This area of your life that you thought would be restored sooner hasn't been restored yet. These other areas were easier than you thought they were. The the other areas are just a total mess. And some of you need to hear what John heard that day. Hey, for now, I need you to chill out because I have a bigger plan than you have. 
as students today, I, you sit back sometimes and I'm sure you come to church and you kind of keep cranking along, but at times, any of you ever get frustrated with where you're at in your faith? Some of you need to hear today that the Lord is pleased with you and he loves you. Some of you need to hear today that God loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And we're gonna watch what that looks like as we walk into the baptism tank. There's a beautiful moment because something miraculous happens in Jesus' baptism. It's a baptism like none other. Nothing had ever occurred like what happened in the Jordan that day. And John MacArthur draws a really great attention to it when he says this. He says, this was the first act of his ministry, the first step in the redemptive plan that he came to fulfill. He who had no sin took his place among those who had no righteousness. He who was without sin submitted to a baptism for sinners. In this act, the Savior of the world took his place among the sinners of the world. The sinless friend of sinners was sent by the Father in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That's Romans 8. And he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There was no other way to fulfill all righteousness. You see, something powerful took place there. There was a power in Jesus that was beyond anything the world had ever seen. It was perfection. It was sinlessness. I thought about the best way to describe this, and this is what I got. How many of you have a microwave? Come on. This, that's stupid. All of you have microwaves, okay? Um, you put stuff in the microwave, and it's kind of fascinating, right? Like you, you take a frozen dinner, you pop it in there, and five minutes later, you have lasagna, all right? First of all, when this showed up, first off, for those of us who weren't around when this advent came around, this blew people's minds. They had no idea how a block of ice became lasagna, okay? And, and, and there's a really funny thing. The, the thing that actually runs a microwave is a thing called a magnetron, okay? I know that because I sold microwaves in college. I don't want to talk about that. But I want you to know magnetrons are real, and that's what creates the radio you know, frequencies that make the little science oven work, okay? So in that, if you pop a lasagna in there and you cook it, it's amazing. Boom. All of a sudden, five minutes later, you got lasagna from what was ice. However, for any of us who have either experimentally or accidentally put tinfoil in the microwave, you know that a magnetron is actually a pretty scary thing, isn't it? Because all of a sudden, this very benign box that probably hangs over your stove became the kind of culminating device for a fire. Like it starts to arc and react and it can set things ablaze and now you're like, do I pull it out? Do I just let it finish its deal in there? I don't know what's happening. The answer is pull it out, get it out of there, okay? But there's a power in a microwave that is normally not seen. And when Jesus was baptized, there was a power in him that until he submitted to baptism, the world was still trying to figure out. But when he submits to baptism, something unbelievable happens. Let's read another quote. Theodore of Heraclea, he's a fourth century martyr and Christian thinker who I'm sure you're all very aware of, okay? This is what he has to say. He says, when he who is perfect according to the law was baptized with the baptism of John, he became the first to achieve the perfection of the law. 
That is so cool. For this reason, even Christ, who was perfect in the law, was baptized with the baptism of John. For this reason, he says, for this it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus knew something about himself that the world did not know. He knew that when he submitted to a sinner's baptism in his sinlessness, something would happen, and you know what? It does. This had never been done. The perfect was baptized. You see, from the beginning, when the law was given, Romans 7 tells us that the law, the Old Testament law, was given in order that it might reveal sin, that it would convict us. You see, humanity was wandering around before that going, we think we're doing pretty good. Things aren't going too bad. And then God all of a sudden steps in and goes, let me show you what it means to live like me, to meet my measurement. And when he laid down the law, all of a sudden you got a problem because humanity goes, we're not doing as good as we thought. This is a little bit of a problem. And they started screwing it up right away. And that's how we got the sacrificial system. Stuff had to die over and over and over again because man fell short. But in this moment, something didn't fall short. And when the perfect submits to baptism, an amazing thing happens. Heaven responds. See, all of a sudden, heaven opens up and God speaks. He says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. When the perfect is submitted to baptism, all of a sudden you have a moment where the relationship from God to the Son is shown. And God says, I am well pleased here. This is my Son. Let's foreshadow forward. When Jesus dies, something else opens up. What is it? It's the veil in the temple. Except this time, when heaven responds to the perfect being submitted to an imperfect thing, now, heaven tears the veil, and God says something miraculous. Now, he says, relationship's not just for the son, it's for all sons. And in fact, C.S. Lewis says it really well when he says this in Mere Christianity. It was at this point that the son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. The power in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, heaven responded to. And the power at the end of Jesus' ministry, heaven responds to as well. And that's what we're celebrating today. Verse 16 goes on, and it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately comes up. This is where heaven responds. It's opened. The Spirit starts to descend like a dove and comes to rest on him. Uh, I'm kind of moving you guys through the different gospel accounts. We're in Matthew. We just talked about John. Now I want to take you to Mark. Uh, Tim Keller is one of my favorite pastors and authors, and he wrote an amazing book on Mark, and it's called Jesus the King. If you want to read an incredible, incredible book, go buy this because it's awesome. And Keller basically walks you through what's going on with Jesus' whole walk through the book of Mark. And he says this. He says, the spirit wasn't usually pictured as a dove. That was unique in the time when Mark and Matthew and John were all writing. And it really only occurs in one place. And that place was called the Targums. And the Targums were the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew scriptures. This is what that means. It was the Old Testament translated into Aramaic, one of the languages of the day, so that Jews could read their Bible in the modern language. Does that make sense? And it was in this place where a translation of the Old Testament, what actually got translated was the rabbis of the day translated Genesis 1. And Genesis 1 is our creation account. And it's at this point in the creation account where the rabbis said, we've got to translate one of the Hebrew verbs and we're not sure what to do with it. But the Hebrew verb was the place where in Genesis 1 it says the spirit hovers over the waters during creation. And that Hebrew verb means to flutter. 
And so this is how they translated it into the Targums. It says, and the earth was without form and empty and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God fluttered above the waters like a dove. And God spoke, there will be light. Boom. In this moment, what's being invoked and what's happening is that this account of Jesus' baptism is not just looking forward to the cross, it's looking back to Genesis. It's tying it all together. It's going, when was the last time you heard that dove thing? Oh man, the Jews would have gone, oh, there's only one place, it's in the creation account. And now the spirit is coming just like it came in creation and it descended and it fell upon him. Listen to this, there were three parties present during creation. God is present during creation. The son is creating, because that's what John 1 tells us. It tells us that what? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and nothing was created that wasn't created through him. That's Jesus. And the spirit is hovering over the waters. Let's look at Jesus' baptism. God the Father is pleased. He's sending the spirit. The spirit is descending, and the son is receiving. You see, the beauty about this passage is that it's looking back to Genesis, and it's looking forward to the cross. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it's the end of, this, of uh, slavery to sin. And all of creation stands in anxious wait. The host of heaven is sitting back going, what's gonna happen next? Because this is unprecedented. What he's doing right now is about to blow our minds and the three years that would follow would change the world forever. And everybody sits back to see how God will respond because they don't know yet. And in verse 17, it says, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. There's something we gotta hear today. And this is where we're gonna kinda drive this point home. If we're gonna go into a time of celebration and baptism, and that's what we're about to go to now, and by the way, we have 20 of them to celebrate today. Yeah. Some of that is to say, we're gonna be here for just a little bit, okay? So we're gonna run just a little long, and I'm okay with that. I need you to hear something because if we're gonna to go to baptism, we're gonna truly celebrate baptism the way baptism is meant to be celebrated, then I need to hear an echo in the room. Not like that. Now you know why they're in another room, right? I need to hear an echo of this. I need to hear the echo of this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You see, because of the reality of who Christ is, because of who we identify with, and I'm gonna affirm that in just a second, unless we hear that echo, we're not hearing the words of God the way that they have been sung through the ages. You see, the reality is that if you have a saving relationship with Christ, which every single person who's gonna get into these waters today has, then what you need to see is that you are so secured in Christ that when Jesus declares, it is my son with whom I'm well pleased, that because you are found in him, he is well pleased with you as well. And I need you to not just hear that for those who are in this water, because that would be easy. I need you to hear it for you today. Every single one of you, and this is the hardest thing in the Christian life, which is why I preach against condemnation, it's why I preach against guilt and shame, is because the toughest thing in the Christian life is to truly accept your redemption. It is to believe that you are resurrected with Christ, that you are no longer a slave to sin, but you identify with him. Well, gosh, Rust in the Bible can't say that. John 1.12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with the pleasure and with his pleasure and will. Romans 15.7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. It says, but whoever, and this is 1 Corinthians 6, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. It goes on, Romans 6, Genesis 1. It goes on, Jeremiah 1, 1 Corinthians, 1 Peter, Galatians. Guys, I could go on and on. And if you don't hear that adoption for you today, I'm telling you, you're missing it. I need you to identify with that adoption. I need you to be in a place where when somebody goes under the waters and they come back up, that as you sing worship songs today, and it will be noisier in this room than you could ever hear a whisper, you have that faint thought in the back of your head that the Lord is looking down and saying, I'm well pleased with them. I'm well pleased with them. That's my son, that's my daughter, and in them I am well pleased. You see, because if you don't hear the pleasure of the Lord over your life, there's only one thing left to hear, and that's the correction. If all you hear over your life is God's disappointment, you are getting it wrong. And I need you to hear pleasure of the Lord today. Can we just do this? Because some of us walked in here guilty and shameful today. I don't need you to raise your hands. I know who you are. I'm one of you. There's times where I walk in and I just go, I don't know if I've got it today. I feel bummed out about this or the way I talked to my kids yesterday or the fact that me and my wife have been fighting or here or there, but you know what? We need to table that for just a second. And it's not because it's not true, it's because it's already covered. I'm not asking you to turn a blind eye to your sin. I'm not preaching, I mean, this is where I preach the gospel and people go, oh, he's one of those guys. A Christian? Yeah, I'm one of those guys where the news is just so stinking good that you go, well, it just can't be that way. And we respond to that good news by just shouting praise to a king. For just a minute, I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna be about 30 minutes of worship. Some of you are like, whoa, that's gonna be a lot. Yeah, and it's gonna be awesome. But for 30 minutes, can we just table all of our feeling bad? all of our guilt, all of our shame, and as our brothers and sisters in Christ get baptized and you're watching a redemption story followed by an action, could we just say, we're gonna table that for right now. We're gonna have faith that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was so perfect when he submitted himself to death on the cross that what he bought was enough for us to simply say, enough. We should be living our lives this way, but I know that we're not always doing that. And so what I want is I want a response today. I want a joyful noise. I want you to walk out of here and be rocked by what the Lord did in your presence. That's what I want. And so this is how it's gonna work. We're gonna have people come up on stage. They're gonna read their story. After they read their story, they're gonna step back and other people will go. Once they're done reading stories and they're gonna go in about four groups, then all of a sudden what's gonna happen is that you're gonna to start to worship and you're gonna to start to sing. And as you start to worship the Lord, you're gonna watch his work go on right in front of you. And you're not off the hook because I always have rules, don't I? What are the rules for baptism? Baptism's not a golf clap, it's a wild shouting celebration. And so what's gonna happen, and we just did this last hour and there was not a dry eye in the house, people are gonna kinda of walk down and while you guys are singing praises to God, being led by the band, you're gonna be screaming and yelling and celebrating what God is doing in their lives. This will arguably be one of the coolest baptisms you've ever been to. And I just want to encourage you, go nuts. 
want to do this as they come up on stage. They're getting ready to read their stories. They're, they're always nervous, but I just want to pray over the room and I just want to really invite the Lord and I want to bind the enemy. So that's what we're going to do right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we know that you are on the march. We know that even beyond the ministry that's about to happen in the tank and the baptism waters, there are lives in this room right now who are being affected for you. People are hearing your redemption story. They're about to hear it over and over again through each and every testimony you have here. Uh, Jesus, I, I just come right now, I declare this is your place. And I know that the enemy wants to screw this up and we just say in Jesus' name, you have no place here. You have no authority here, you're defeated. And so we just lay claim to this territory, both physically and spiritually. And Lord Jesus, we just say, this is all about you. This isn't about fancy words or fancy songs. This is about a spiritual transaction that has taken place. And it's about your kids coming forward and recognizing that transaction in the precious waters of baptism. It's us following after your lead that you loved us so much that you said, this thing I should be doing for you, I'm gonna actually let you guys participate in. I'm gonna let you baptize each other. I'm gonna let you feel the joy of what it means to do ministry, to love on each other and to be a family. And I'm not gonna let your brokenness stand in the way. So I'm gonna pay for your brokenness so that you can have unbridled, completely repentant love and care, not just for me, but for each other. So Jesus, we recognize your perfection in going before us and we recognize our imperfection as we come before you. Lord, may this time be a holy, holy time. Spirit of God, will you have your way?